What's happening? It's Yannick Guzdala. It's the Yannick Guzdala podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, you're watching on the new dedicated podcast channel. I've started two extra channels with my uh, recent, most recent YouTube reboot and venture. So if you're just listening on, on an audio version, you want to check out some of the things uh, visually speaking. Go over to the YouTube channel. It's now called Yannick Gwizdala. The Yannick Gwizdala podcast. It's on YouTube. It's linked pretty much everywhere, including the show notes of this episode. And as you can see, if you're watching, I've got the bass with me. I'm actually on the couch. It's kind of, it's kind of cozy in here. It's freezing outside here in California. And I've started to make the studio nice and cozy. I've started to make it a much nicer place to work. Uh, a couple of different sets, if you will, for the different videos I'm making. I've got a workbench in here. I've got the desk down one end. I've got the practice set up. I've got the podcast set up here on the couch. It's actually feeling really productive. <clears throat> and there's the first cough of the episode. Yeah. Uh, once again, the kiddo brought home some uh snotty pippin from snotsdale arizona that's my daughter brought home some uh, gremlins from daycare so what started out for the uh, this is going to sound really super selfish she can't help it <laughs> i'm not blaming her this is more like a recap of how it's going since i started the year with a big health episode i would hate to think that i uh I was taking it out on her not at all it's just part of it and that's what i'm reporting in on you know with the whole you know, future health and fitness goals that I talked about extensively in an, in a couple of episodes ago, uh, right at the top of the year. Uh, reality has struck. I think I even might have talked about it and predicted it even on that episode and said, yeah, well, the things you can't plan for, uh, like getting sick. And that was it. So from kind of, what are we now? Saturday night, I was recording this, goes out Sunday morning. So from Monday, been kind of bunged up. I'm on the, I'm on the mend. I'm on the better end of it. It's not as brutal as it has been sort of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but it's not great. And it's kind of really halted the mission of fitness. Um, did manage to drop 10 pounds, uh, which was almost entirely nutrition based. So that was nice to see, um, sort of getting out of that kind of unhealthy mid one nineties down into the mid one eighties. Actually, I'm well, I was 183.5 today. So that's kind of a, a, not a bad optimum weight, uh, for me. I swing anywhere between 177 and 183 is always a good range. But as long as it's lean and healthy and, um, you know, and I'm exercising, working the heart and, and working on the VO2 max and all of those things I talked about in that previous episode, but just updating you guys and girls on that. Uh, uh, hopefully everyone is, uh, you know, I said it before, no one's perfect. No one can say, Hey, zero alcohol, zero sugar for the year. And then just stick to that the whole way. Um, we actually had a big family gathering, uh, with, with Chelsea's parents, with in-laws and like family. And it was like nine or 10 of us, um, over there at the house. And I actually had a couple of glasses of wine, which I wasn't planning on doing, but it was kind of celebratory. Chelsea doesn't drink at all, like literally zero alcohol, uh, pretty much the entire time I've known her. And that's her, that's her thing. She's just not into it at all. So she was driving, which was fantastic. And it's kind of celebratory time and nice hanging with, with, uh, with the family. So why not? Took a couple of nice bottles of wine and, uh, managed to have a couple of glasses between trying to get food in our daughter's mouth. And, uh, yeah. So, Nobody's perfect. I have by no means been perfect on that, but it's all trending towards um, much better habits and much clearer uh, sort of outlook 
you know, brain fog, which is amazing. I'm really sticking to all the other stuff. You know, the, the, the sickness this week has obviously made me feel kind of a little bit like shit um, and put me off exercising as hard. Um, I've really don't like to push the body when I'm sick is I don't think it's very good for it and you can sort of worsen your situation. I've still been sort of getting out there for a walk, getting at it with my daughter, going out with the stroller or even when she's at daycare going out on my own. Um, so I've been getting my steps in every day. So the, the, the sickness has dialed me back on the exercise and the really sort of pushing my body to the limit, but it hasn't meant I've had to dial back on any of the other things I sort of set out to do, the nutrition things, the, you know, eating the rainbow, getting lots of fruits and vegetables and eating clean and really you know, watching my output and my input and trying to balance those. That's all been still kind of on it. And I've, I think I've kind of got over this bout of ill health, um, served up to me with a sneeze in the mouth by my daughter. I think I've got over it, uh, a little quicker than I normally would, but largely due to all of that stuff. So, um, all of that to say, just a quick check in to say, I'm not like, um, not perfect. I uh, haven't completely fallen off the wagon at all, really. And everything is sort of on track, kind of where I want it to be. And the most important thing is I feel way better as a result after just three weeks of, uh, of really putting my foot on the loud pedal of health and nutrition. And boy, oh boy, has it been a couple of weeks. Holy shit. I really didn't know when I started to reboot the YouTube channel that it was going to go quite like this and there have been some interesting moments especially the last few days <clears throat> and just overall the response has been just insane you guys and girls bass players coffee drinkers followers subscribers likers commenters uh have been unbelievable just the response to these first two videos the kind of change of pace that i've injected into the youtube channel and my focus being really on that um, has been amazing. Videos are getting views like I've never seen before as a, as a YouTube channel owner. Um, I wouldn't call myself a content creator or, uh, what, part of the creator economy. There's all these names, right? They go around. Like, I, I can't stand those things. But, um, one of the big pieces of feedback has been like, so, People are like on board with it so far, which is amazing. Thousands more people subscribing to the YouTube channel, tens of thousands of views on these first couple of videos that I've posted. Um, but there, there have been some questions which I want to address in, uh, in this video, in this episode of the podcast about what on earth does having a big YouTube channel have to do with what I set out as kind of my mission statement when I launched this thing a couple of weeks ago. And if you missed that, um, I'm just on an absolute tear on an absolute mission um with the youtube channel to grow it just beyond uh recognition basically my i set my goal to get to a hundred thousand subscribers by april so 31st of april hopefully oh sorry 30th of april not 31st 30 days in april 30th of april excuse me hydration early doors here um I want to have 100,000 subscribers on the channel. That was the first goal. And then that, to me, is a layover on the way to a million. Who knows when that's going to happen? I've sort of set my internal goal for that to happen by the end of the year. And I've seen channels that have done that. Um, I was actually watching a video today of a guy who started in early 2021, started put, putting videos up in, I think, February, something like that, of 2021. And the videos were getting two, three, or maybe four views not 4,000, not 400, that four views a video. 
and that was in early 2021. And in 2022, he made something like $631,000 on his YouTube channel alone. Now, money is not the motivation for me at all. I'm just saying I've seen it happen on certain channels. That was obviously a financial channel. Those are way more, um, I don't know, way more visited. Uh, I think they have a much bigger um, uh, RPM, revenue per, per mil, um, which is at the, if, for anyone who's interested, that's the amount of money you make per thousand views you get on the uh, on your channel RPM. And I've seen musicians go anywhere from like three to five dollars in terms of every thousand views they get. That's how much they make. And some of these financial channels get twenty, thirty, forty dollars per thousand views they get. So when they get a million views on a video on a real topic of the day or something or something people are searching for all the time. The money, as with this guy, $613,000 in a year, the money can get quite kind of out of control. Anyway, that's way too much talking about money. The money is not my focus at all. <coughs> um, the focus is to build the community. That's what um, I want to clarify here from everyone who is asking me, what on earth does having 100,000 or a million subscribers on YouTube have to do with wanting to play live music? And it's quite easy to see. I mean, I'll take two examples here. One of somebody who plays live music and one of somebody who I believe does live speaking engagements. If you haven't guessed already, I'm talking about Adam Neely, who I actually checked today. He has uh, 1.7 million subscribers on his YouTube channel. Should put confetti here or something. It's big. Uh, it's a big number. Um, he's been working hard at it for a decade or more, I believe. Um, and then Rick Beato, who kind of uh, blew up on YouTube. Also, I, I actually watched his, his channel. I don't know so much about him or his journey i just know the numbers are big and i see commercials for him doing live speaking events that i know are as a result of uh that sense of community that's around his youtube channel so both of those guys are pretty good examples of people who cultivated an audience and a fan base and a community around their youtube channel um, and are able to go do what they want you know i believe adam has a band uh i don't want to screw up the name Something to do with the sun. Sungazer? Yes, sorry. Holy shit. I really should do research before this, right? But this is always, you know, the Saturday night podcast that goes out on Sunday morning is always just kind of off the top of the head. I hope you guys are, hope you guys are cool with that. Um, also, I'm, I've just done exactly the same thing that me and Chelsea did on last week's episode. <laughs> and I've forgotten where the monitor is, the baby monitor. Okay, she's sleeping. That's good. Um, so yeah, so that that's what my mission is. That's my mission is to get to those kind of those numbers that even in my mind, even though I know I can do it, I know I want to do it, I know I'm completely invested in it and it's completely honest. My intentions are good. They those numbers still sound bonkers. Even when I see in just 2 weeks what you guys have done to the main channel, which is completely over, it's just mind-blowing. Those kind of numbers still sound pretty bonkers, but that's the goal. <clears throat> and it starts to open some doors. I think that's the big thing. I think that's the thing we haven't really talked about so much. And though that's the thing I see when I research this stuff, when I look at people like Neely and Beato, and that, those are just two people that are sort of in our world here, I guess. You know, we're, we're not a million miles away from each other. And me and Adam both play bass, for instance. Uh, we're both in, in the music. All three of us are in the music lane there. Um, but there seem to be a lot more opportunities available when you corral that number of people 
around a common theme. And that common theme is, you know, for Adam is Adam, for Rick is Rick, and for me is going to be me. And what is me fundamentally underneath it all is a musician who started out playing live. That was always my goal was to play live my entire life was to make music and to record to to have you know i i hope to have a more consistent and more regular output of recording material as well i think that's something that having a, a larger youtube channel a, a larger audience will really help facilitate um i don't as as you may have heard me say before i don't play for the audience i play for myself because i think that's the most honest way of making music i do if, if i do what i love like a hundred percent um then I, I stand a chance of being able to deliver you an honest performance and then you can decide afterwards whether you whether you like it or not and i think that oh excuse me i'm still not over this shit god damn it i definitely don't have enough liquid to get me through this podcast shit um <laughs> i think that uh when the audience is that big um, you get the chance to really take, uh, to take risks. Um, not that it matters. I don't think if anyone likes it. Um, I just think that if, you know, I really want to make that, like it, okay, I'm jumping around all over the place here. I am going to get to a point. <coughs> I really want to make that live element and artistic creative part of my life the main focus and and have the ability to have that as the main source of income i I love doing the books that's amazing i have the bass studio i'm actually not sure how much longer i'm going to do that i really I'm, i'm thinking about changing that completely um i have a bunch of different avenues of of uh of different revenue streams that i've talked about before on the channel but the the live music thing and the recorded music thing have always been pretty down uh, down the list in terms of what they're able to generate as revenue. And I've talked about this briefly before. I'm not really that materialistic. Um, I you know I don't need. Uh, I was actually talking to talking to Chelsea about this today. It's like we we live in a a, a really decent sized house and. We were driving through a super crazy fancy neighborhood with houses two or maybe three times the size of what we have. And I was looking at these places and they're very impressive from the outside. They are very impressive. But I'm not sure how um, how happy it would make us to live in a house so big that you might actually literally get lost in it or, or have to walk so far that to find your, your husband or your wife that you might have forgotten what you were trying to find them for to say in the first place. So I, although it would be very nice, you know, with family and with the way we are both musicians and, and actually need space to work, it of course would be nice. It would be a luxury to have a, a house slightly bigger than the one we live in now, but actually not that much bigger. So that got me start, started thinking down the, the path of like, yeah, I'm not in this for like glory and fame and, and riches, uh, uh, you know, extreme amounts of wealth. Um, I, of course, want to take care of my family uh, in a big way. That's a you know fundamental element of just any stream of revenue I have right now. But it would be nice to be able to exist and uh, do the things the family needs to do with the performance and recording side of things way higher at the top of the list in terms of what the revenue streams are able to do. Um, 
And if there's, if, the, if money does come from somewhere more than I ever expected it to, <clears throat> I, I think that's a, a, a huge, like, I'm not just, I'm, I've got no interest in buying a Ferrari or something. You know what I mean? That's just not, not me. I might have a, a decent car, but I, I don't want to spend exorbitant amount of money, exorbitant amounts of money on things unless it's sort of reinvesting back into, uh, either my, my family and what, what we want to do as a unit or, into the music most importantly you know do i need like i'm thinking about especially now as i make this reboot of the youtube channel and i'm uh i'm actually starting to do things i should have done a really long time ago like hire someone to come in and really get the most out of the gear i already have i don't want to spend any more money right now because i have a bunch of pretty decent gear some of it's a little out of date the camera's kind of old there are a few things that yes if i had the means i would probably upgrade and when I look at what other people are doing in terms of production uh, in just a pure filmmaking sense, I see that and kind of aspire to be a better filmmaker. And if having a slightly better camera allows me to tell the story better, then okay, so be it. I'll happily reinvest into the situation <clears throat> with whatever I make. But first of all, I want someone to come in and say, Hey, you know what? We could, we could get 20% or 17.62% more out of the gear you already have. And that might, get you through the next six months you know and let's see how the youtube channel really does take off and if it starts bringing in some money okay it would be really nice when i'm talking to the camera if you're watching on youtube right now if it's really nice when i'm talking to the camera like this that i had a second nice camera to cut away from you know cut away to rather so i can have two shots on the floating head thing on the on the the one shot on the master shot it'd be really nice to have two cameras on that um it would make the editing super easy and quick if they were both the same camera both the same file format, et cetera, et cetera. Anyone who edits video out there, I'm sure you are um, nodding your head in agreement. Like the, the, the more efficient you can make your workflow, the better. Um, and that that's what I've been working on with what I have. And I have a bunch of other cameras in here, but the fact that none of them match the good one I'm using right now makes it a little bit tough. I, I know my edit will just be so much longer syncing everything up and getting the look and the coloring and all that stuff. So those are the kinds of things um, I would reinvest in you know and stuff like the live show for instance like i want a real live show i don't just want to show up three musicians on a stage in a club the same way everyone does and with no backdrop with no staging with no lights with no not i really want a show like a real show so i would absolutely love to bring in some uh cash flow to that side of things to reinvest into what we do as a band live on stage you know always travel with a videographer for instance have projections have triggering stuff like really make it an event so when you come to one of my gigs you're like oh shit this is not just you know we, he's gonna play these tunes and we're gonna drink a beer and go home it's like oh i'm gonna think about this for a while you know i, I just think back to all the great shows i ever went to and there was always some other element besides the music not that the not that it's a substitute for like a lack of musicality. I think it's just an enhancement, an augmentation of the music you're producing. Um, especially the kinds of things I want to do with the trio. And uh, yeah, so there's, there's all of those things going on. And that's sort of where my head's at with it all. I would hate to think you guys are like, think I'm just trying to do YouTube to get some like AdSense money. And it's just all a big cash grab no it's not at all like i want to be out there working i'm i'm working hard on youtube so i can work even harder if 
the thing happens that I want to happen as a result of building the community on YouTube. So let's see. Here we are. We're in week two. Like literally I'm two videos in <coughs> and it's all already like 10 times uh, more successful than I ever thought it was going to be. And I think the the number of subscribers that are subscribing to the channel right now is literally 10 times what it a day what it was. No, it's literally per day what it was per month. I know we've added like uh, two or two and a half thousand subscribers to the main channel with just two videos right now, which is crazy. Um, watch time is up. Number of views are up. Comments were out of control. That's another thing. I, I really um, jumped a shark on that. <laughs> I committed way too hard on that last video. In the middle of the video, if you haven't seen it, it's the one about the Federa, the Matheson and the F-Base, about my journey with boutique instruments. Halfway through, I talked about, hey, by the way, I'm on this big thing with YouTube, blah, 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 blah. And I committed to, I was like, and I will answer every single comment for the first two weeks that the video, uh, after the video goes out. Holy crap. I'm actually going to look on the phone right now because the last time I checked, uh, I looked at some stats earlier on and it was in the high 500s in terms of how many comments there were on the video. And oh my God. <laughs> Now it's a 607, it went up. Since I looked down, it was 670. I rocked back, I looked down, and it's 674. These are not huge numbers. Like, go to, you know, MKBHD or one of these channels, and of course, it's thousands and thousands of comments and hundreds of thousands or millions of views. I'm small, I'm small fry compared to that. But in terms of what it was a month ago compared to what it is now, it's really a big change and i hope it keeps going in the right direction because it is kind of super fun to do i'm actually like being creative making these videos even doing the editing which is a massive pain in the ass i'm spending way longer on it and being way more critical of it and giving myself time rather than trying to upload a video every day and sort of bash you guys over the head with it I'm really like, okay, I'm going to set myself. I thought, because the first video I put up, the three things I recommended for bass players to use, <clears throat> that went up on a Tuesday. I was like, oh, you know what, Tuesday. Maybe Tuesday's a good day. I'll put a video up every Tuesday. So I set my sights on the next Tuesday. The next Tuesday came around and the edit wasn't quite right. I could have put it up and it would have been not great. And I'm not saying it was great when it went out. I, I, as I watched it back afterwards a day later, I was like, oh, I could have done more there, less here, whatever. But delaying it and putting it out on, on the Wednesday or whenever I did instead of the Tuesday, I think maybe made it 10 to 15% better than rushing it. So I'm definitely giving myself that time uh, for the first time, which is great. I'm concentrating on the story and on the storytelling concentrating on the title and the thumbnail like all the things that get people to watch the video and then trying to deliver on the promise of the title and the thumbnail i think that's the key there and trying to deliver on it early to make sure people know i'm not bullshitting them or i'm not going to go off on some tangent something completely unrelated it's like um i don't know what an example i've, I've done so much research the last couple of months about like who does what and, and why certain youtube uh channels do so well sort of what their formulas are and uh i forget who it was but someone was saying like yeah okay if your title is like the best thing to buy your wife or husband for valentine's day but then you like 
you open the video with something completely unrelated, like you're in the grocery store with your cousin or something, you know, because it's a vlog style thing, but you promise people it was this other thing and you don't get to it until four minutes into the video. <clears throat> then people just like, what the fuck is this? You know, I think I did that with about 380 vlog episodes, although I wasn't pretending it to be anything else. I was just probably two years late with having a daily vlog. Mm. Not probably. I was definitely two years late with having a daily vlog. And it was totally, you know, ripping off Casey Neistat. But what it taught me was discipline and it taught me how to edit better and how to use Final Cut Pro and all of these things. So even though it was a little bit of a pointless exercise uh, publicly facing and those videos, there are hundreds and hundreds of them and they got almost no views. Um, it was a good exercise in discipline and willpower and just learning how to use cameras and, and video editing software. So I don't regret it. Um, and moving forwards, I'm able to like parlay that experience and information and failures into, you know, what's happening now, which is super positive on the channel and having three channels. I, of course, this is the podcast channel. I also have a clips channel. So the shorter form stuff and the stuff that doesn't really fit in the bigger narrative of the main channel and the kind of, uh, uh material I'm putting there, I'm going to put on the clips channel. So, you know, five to seven minute videos, maybe some performances, they're going to be categorized. It's just a bit, be, be a, cool place for the people who are really interested in uh, a little bit more detail to get some things and then not kind of hurt the growth and progress the way youtube likes to promote things on the main channel so we'll see still a work in progress <coughs> whoa, whoa 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 this is killing me i feel like every other month for the last year i've had this cough on the podcast due to just being sick um it's probably a sign that I should maybe do some playing. I've got the bass sitting here on my lap for 25 minutes. Um, what else did I want to talk about? There's so much stuff going on uh, with the YouTube thing. I know I'm going to miss some things. Just the comments were out, were outrageous. I, yeah, I did overcook it, like saying I was going to reply to every comment for the first two weeks of every video is up, and now we're at 674 comments. It's kind of crazy. Um, so i got to dial that back in the next one and say, hey, people, guys and girls of the bass world, I absolutely love seeing the comments, reading them, replying to questions. It's hard to reply to a comment, actually. I should have said I'll reply to questions, um, but it's great. And I will read all the comments for sure. But let's say maybe it's going to be 48 hours because so far the last four days, it's been a full-time job, like hundreds and hundreds of comments every day. And if we really start building, I might have to, I don't know, it's going to be really tough. I might have to say, okay, the, all the comments in the first hour or something, and I'll like make myself available to literally just burn through comments in the first hour the video is up. If we get there, I'll be so happy. You know, if it's going that crazy, if we're getting five or 600 comments in the first hour, I will gladly sit there and put in the work and read what you have to say. Um, and of course, if you want, you know, a, a, a slightly more delayed but in-depth response, you should check out the Substack for sure. I'll link that in the in the show notes of the episode and, of course, in the description of the YouTube video. Um, of course, I'm continuing with the newsletter, with the with the blog. That's where this podcast is going out through the audio version. So that's where uh, I get to every comment because there aren't thousands of them there. It's more like 10 or 15 or something on a, on a really heavy day. <clears throat> more often than not, it's just one or two. So that's always a good place to get some feedback from me. Um, and let's see what happens. Right before I hit record, my fingers were really cold. They've actually warmed up a little bit uh, since talking. And I 
I was just playing a, a really simple bass line like that, just trying to sort of will the blood to rush around my hands and warm up. And it's still not really there. I should do some uh, some proper warm-up stuff. That really gets my... Still go back to this one. Anyone who has... Um, is this in... This is in all the good stuff, I think. This is in like the first, you know, music book I ever wrote like 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And I still go back to this. Um, see how in, like natural it was. Like I didn't plan that. I was like, oh, my finger's warm. Let me, bam, what's the first thing that came into my mind? Literally the first thing in all the good stuff. And it's just a diminished chord. Because as you can see, it uses all four fingers on the left hand and thumb and first, second, third finger on the right hand. So every digit that you need to be moving is moving. And notice I'm not playing, I'm not playing legato. I'm not letting it ring between. I'm actually taking my fingers off the fingerboard. So there's silence between each chord. And that gives me that pressure that I have to squeeze the, you know, squeeze the strings towards the neck. And that's just that small enough, enough of a motion. It's a tiny motion, but it's enough of an emotion to get the fingers warmed up. It doesn't take much. I'm, I'm already feeling an improvement. I'll tell you one thing I do notice if, is if I play chords for a really long time, there's definitely an adjustment period going back to linear ideas. And depending on you know where my techniques are, where my chops are at. Depends, you know, kind of dictates how long that transition period is. Normally I hope it's not more than a bar or two of music. If it ever starts getting to like 30 seconds, then I'm in trouble. Gotta do some real work. This reminds me of a oh really bad accuracy okay so maybe it's playing the same shape chord over and over again really sort of jams my fingers up because I'm doing so this is I wonder if anyone recognizes what that is before I explain it let's put some reverb on make it sound a little prettier Know what that is? Anyone know what this chord? Anyone know what that sound is? I, mean, I was playing altered over it, but that sound is D7. Just actually, just take away all the notes. Take the chord and then take away the melody. Left with this three notes. Take away the third note. Left with two. Is our root, so it's root major third flat seven sharp nine. So it's a dominant sharp nine chord. Very to me, very recognizable. And we're gonna 
intersperse it. Actually, that's a, that's a good way of doing it. I don't think I've ever done it like that before. So playing it in minor thirds, getting just getting used to where that goes in minor thirds. So D to B to A flat <coughs> to F back to D. Now I'm going to play another shape. It's maybe a little little less familiar to some people don't know where you're at with your with your uh, harmony of course i'm just just guessing it's maybe a little less of a familiar sound um technically it's a triad on top so i have a d triad here for instance but in the second inversion so it's a on the bottom so it's a d and f sharp i hadn't intended this to turn into a nerdy harmony class so bear with me here maybe this is your thing maybe it isn't I'm going to get into playing. I just figured it might be nice to explain exactly what's going on here, what I'm doing. And this is kind of how, obviously, I don't need to do any of the analysis and talk about it because I, I know these things, but this is kind of how I progress through a practice routine. Uh, maybe that is of some interest to people. I'm kind of, you know, picked up the bass, wasn't particularly warm, went into a thing I've done forever. It reminded me going from chords to even other chord shapes, sometimes a little rough when you play the same shape over and over, and then it reminds me, oh, we've got this sharp nine chords in minor thirds. Just that's a good one for accuracy. And then we've got this other voicing. So it's a D. First of all, I'm, I'm using a D triad here in the first inversion. So A, D, F sharp. My fingering for this is a little weird because uh, <coughs> probably the most the most uh, common would be three, four, two to get that triad and then drop the bass note in, the bottom note of the voicing with the first finger. Um, I actually use... This is kind of weird. Two, four, three. Second finger A, fourth finger D, third finger F sharp. And then one, this root note. Anybody got what this root note is yet? It's an E flat. So basically you have this triad D, and then to find your root note, just go up a half step to E flat. So it's D over E flat, you could call this. As a standalone kind of chord, D over E flat. You know, a bunch of things you could call it. Uh, minor, major, seven, flat, five. It's just all... However you want to think about it, or feel it, or hear it. Hear it, most importantly. Um, but the way that fits in with the sharp nine, dominant sharp nine chords, moving in minor thirds, is that if you go from each... This is really getting in the weeds here. I know it's a bit nerdy. It's not going to be for everyone. But it's a cool sound. It's something Herbie Hancock showed us. We were sitting around the piano. I hope I did a, a tour opening for Herbie a long time ago. 22 years ago, I think. Yeah, 2001. <coughs> and uh, I remember the last night of the gig. Got to sit around the piano with him. And I had my transcription books there. And I... I transcribed Fee Fi Fo Fum, his solo on Fee Fi Fo Fum from uh, Wayne Shorter album. Um, and uh, he looked at me, he's like, wow, was that me or was that McCoy? Like, he couldn't even remember playing on a record. It's like one of his most legendary moments on Blue Note with Wayne. But um, 
yeah, I got to play some of that for him and, and talk about harmony. And he was showing us this uh, this thing he was doing on piano, which was taking that dominant seven sharp nine in minor thirds, and a half step up from each of those, playing the second voice voicing I just showed you. So you got to. It might be easier uh, to think about it from the root note up uh, rather than the triad down. Um, just if we if we're thinking about the root motion and the and the and it's symmetrical diminished by the way ah. which is just half step whole step symmetrical all the way ah. I'll get it right one of these days I'm really not wonder so you it, it, within that scale, you hit all of the root notes that we need to play this shape. The, the eventual sound of it is this. Ah, it's a little, obviously, a little too muddy in the lower lower register of the instrument, but that's the effect. So the root motion is moving, half step, whole step the whole way down so <clears throat> symmetrical diminished scale is your is your baseline your root motion and then you attach on every minor third dominant sharp nine and on a half step up and also moving down of course in minor thirds you attach this shape of a triad over a root note a half step up so we have D over E flat to D7 sharp 9 we have B over C to B7 sharp 9 we have A flat over A to A flat 7 sharp 9 we have F over F sharp to F7 sharp 9 and we're back at D over E flat to D7 sharp 9 So, uh, you know, making an example of the fact that it doesn't just have to be this nerdy chordal thing if you're playing a bass line. you can embellish your bass line and comfort yourself in there and add colors and textures it's just one tiny detail of harmony that helps you out with uh expanding your palette and understanding you know kind of a bigger spectrum of sounds when it comes to improvising when it comes to adding color to to just the simplest of things like a bass line in d just two notes and suddenly when you have access to all these other harmonic devices and can hear those things and you know and and once you start to work on that you know even if it's just recognizing even if it's just recognizing the half whole the symmetrical diminished scale um starting to recognize that less as a scale you know in you know high to low across a bunch of strings actually start to recognize that as, you know it's uh that's kind of a root motion thing all the way down one string so you're going parallel here and then being able to attach all of those triads and harmony elements above it 
those are the kind of things I have been working on for years and, you know, things that come from, you know, I think there's not enough importance put on, you know, when you do get to that stage of transcribing and you want, oh, there's that lick or there's that whole solo maybe you're in the beginning of your uh, journey with transcription and you're still like transcribing whole solos and looking at the shape of things. And I think there's not enough importance put on what else is going on uh, behind that, you know, all the harmony, all of the all of the chords, you know, like transcribing all those chords. I was, something I first started doing with Chick Corea, I think the most, um, really... Some, some amazingly well recorded albums to make that really clear. Like it's just the clarity of some of his recordings in a specific period I was transcribing from made it like, oh wow, I can actually hear all those notes in the voicing. And I didn't start off with the chords I've just shown you, these kind of clustery, crunchy, extracurricular activity chords. I did not start off there at all. Um, I worked my way up to that big time. And that specific thing I just showed you, Herbie Hancock showed me and a bunch of other people in the room at the time that was, we got this kind of crazy harmony lesson from one of the all-time gurus. And that was just a really nice little happy accident, right place, right time. Um, I'm out of liquid. I'm going to get a throat lozenge because I'm just not going to make it to the end of the podcast. Here's a here's an unscheduled throat lozenge break. Not ideal, but it will help get through the next 10 minutes or so. And I hate stopping in, you know, in the middle of a, in the middle of a good bit, like having some, having some thoughts about harmony and actually getting into it. It's always nice to find something of meaning and something that's, you know, that's genuine, that's genuine to my practice routine is something that uh, is on my mind quite often, just um, always trying to focus on getting the most out of the out of the very least um you don't have to i mean it's literally just a triad um triad and a root note right it doesn't get too much simpler than that the triad is the simple part the flavor uh the extracurricular note there is um is the crunchy part also i should probably say like when you look at all of the notes within these chords they all relate to something i mean it's there's a whole other thing you don't need to know you don't need to know what they are in order to be a great musician you need to train your ear and learn by ear and learn from recordings and have and build instincts and experience i think that is the most important part first first and foremost to understand the theory side of things is good to explain that to other people is good for economy of time when you find yourself in a musical situation that you need to convey certain things very quickly and make rehearsals more efficient make recording sessions more efficient make production composition writing more efficient then i think it can be a really useful tool um and it will give you more access to other theoretical stuff okay great but um you know one thing I'm always doing is is trial and error, for instance. So a, a lot of this stuff, even though I did study classical music and I do understand have a quite a theoretical background from a, quite a young age, not necessarily in jazz harmony, but in harmony in general, which is 
still useful. They're all the same 12 notes we deal with here in Western music for the most part. Um, I think, uh, it, yeah, it, it can be, it can be good to understand it eventually. Um, and when we look at, so if we were, if we relate this to just one dominant chord, for instance, so let's go with D. We've got D7, sharp nine. Even just between those two, we go up a half step and back down again. So up a half step to the D triad over E flat and back down to D7, sharp nine. Root, major third, flat seven, sharp nine. Pretty standard voicing on a four string bass. You can play it down here. Same thing, just move it around, find out where the sweet spot is on your instrument. It doesn't matter how it's tuned. If you're playing a four string bass. In fact, if you have enough frets, I oh know that's probably too many frets on most four strings, but still sounds good. B flat up on the, up on the, uh, with the root on the E string. Actually, from the 12th fret, still sounds pretty singing up there. I just happen to have the high C, so it sings a little more. So, root, major third, flat seven, sharp nine. As we said, pretty standard voicing. We move up, the half step. I want to reference back. Actually, you know what? I'll put a... Um, uh, oh. Down. I've got a D flat in here. I thought I had a, a low B, but in a hip shot. But let's just put a um, we'll just put a sustained D in there. So we have this kind of nice bass note going underneath, and it's totally it's all in there. When we go up that half step, we have the D triad. So now on top we have F sharp major third, root fifth, flat nine. So there's no flat seven in there. There are no other crazy notes, it's just a triad with the flat nine. And we've got it over this D drone that you can hear in the background. And then if we go down the next step in the scale in the symmetrical diminished, so our root note is C. It's another one of these triads over a root. The triad this time is B. So we've got, we've got D sharp or E flat, so we've got a flat nine of our D chord. Natural 13, which is B. Major third, which is F sharp, flat seven, which is C. It's all D7. All of this is relatable to D7. Then we go down to what is B7 sharp nine. That's our voicing. So let's let's take the drone out for a second. We got B7 sharp nines, which is B, D sharp, A natural, D natural. But we can relate all of these notes back to guess what d7 because now in the root of our voicing not the root of the root because that's the d that's droning below it but the root of our voicing here is b natural so 13 d sharp or e flat that's the flat nine a natural that's the uh, fifth d <clears throat> is the root This is symmetrical diminished. And all relatable to this D dominant. Now, of course, you could have all of this same set of chords and same set of voicings over any of the four starting points of the exercise. So we start in, we're grounding ourselves in D here, but if you move in minor thirds, D, F natural, A flat, or B, 
You could make any one of them. Let's let's do that. Let's make B, for instance. Oh no, actually, let's get a low, way lower note so we can really hear the voice. Let's do A flat. So. Let's set up there. Let's get our ear. Let's get our ear toned in, tuned into to A flat, right? This is our sound. So half half whole, our symmetrical diminished. So we're gonna do exactly the same voicings as we did over D, and I'll go up this time so we can get the real separation between the root note. This bad boy you hear. How loud is that shit? I'm sitting here with the headphones on, I'm probably shaking the house. Let's not do this for too much longer. My wife's sleeping. So when we relate it all to A flat, with our A flat, it's exactly the same concept as before. <clears throat> Root, major third, flat seven, sharp nine. Then we got flat nine, five, one, major third. Then we got sharp nine, five, flat nine, flat five. Um, oh, I hate it when it does that. <laughs> and then we got major third. Flat seven, sharp nine, five. We're back to our old friend D seven, sharp nine here, but it's now it's flat five, flat seven, major third, natural thirteen, and so on and so forth. Up and down we go. So with all with all that diminished stuff, there are only three places. Three uh yeah, three places that you have to um learn it all in because if you if A flat's your starting point that's that's diminished right so A flat B natural D and F before the cycle starts again A flat B D and F um, so you only have to start A flat or A or B flat because by the time you get upper minor third you're already back in you're already back where you started on A flat just an inversion of that so you really only need to know um, be be aware of the, the three basic starting points of that stuff and then within that's just a basic diminished arpeggio within that is the half step whole step and then you start adding all these chords and voicings and you start to expand to this pretty huge palette of colors all of that to be able to go to put in all these weird chords when you're playing bass lines um, and kind of have this also have this really nice uh, range of the instrument be able to use the whole thing and these voicings are not easy to get to if you haven't done them before so you're gonna have to practice like I think that's in one of the books as well maybe that's in chordal harmony or shit maybe even as early as all the good stuff it's definitely something uh, to, be, to be able to get it to where it's that you know, fluid between the voicings. They are they're not easy. Like I said, I have a little bit of a weird fingering for the triad over the root. But I've always been a big fan of anyone know what that is? I've always been a big fan of of weird uh, voicings. That, 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 that's so not weird to me anymore. I've been playing it and listening to it in various situations for so long. But that's major seven. Uh, that's major seven sharp nine. 
This is just major seven, just to get your ear. Right? And then you put a sharp nine in there. And of course, if you can do major seven, let's do it in D flat here, a bit higher and clearer. If you can do it in a major seven with a sharp nine, you know you can do major seven with a flat nine. little bit stranger I'm gonna guess for to, to most people's ears right away but if you're sick of that regular old um, electric bass major seven voicing which is root third and major seven boring is all boring throw the sharp nine up there really nice flavor to have and, and of course when you you know when you're writing and you're looking for options when you have a melody and you're like well I have this I have this E flat <laughs> feel, feel how different that is already just the, just the minor uh, maybe I should tune this thing slipping a little somewhere in there oh yeah the G is oh I'm going to show you guys what I'm dealing with down here as well for everyone this is a <laughs> this will be a a reason to switch over to YouTube to check out the podcast. For the first time, I actually have the whole thing set up. So can you see this? Yeah. I've got my Helix Control down here in front of me. This bad boy, this uh, Starship Enterprise Ethernet, um, long-ass Ethernet cable, because I'm kind of way down the studio here. And my, my Helix rack is all the way back in the other end of the room. You'll see it in the master shot on the on the other videos on the main channel. It's tucked away in the rack there. Um, but this the, the Ethernet cable is so long on the Helix control, I can kind of put this in any part of the studio and have control of everything. My looper, the, the poly sustain, like the freeze pedal, the reverb, the tuner, all that stuff. That the, it's, even has the tuner built in on here. It's kind of a really... Uh, it's a luxurious thing. Line Six gave this to me. Uh, you know, this is not sponsored by them, but they did give me the. They did send it to me for free. It's a really nice piece of gear to have in the studio. I'm finally getting to use it kind of all over the place, not just sitting right there in the rack, but being able to be a little bit remote in my own studio, which is nice. Um, now, to oh, I was tuning. Yeah, because we get into this. Okay, last thing. Let's make this the last thing. This kind of melody note. Um, when you have a melody note and you're reharmonizing, you're maybe writing, composing, and uh, you're trying to get to uh, reharm or just harmonizing uh, options. You know, I've talked for so long about just having a root note. Okay, first thing I do is put a voicing in there. Sorry, just having a root note and a bass note. And being able to tell a story like that. You know, being able to move around and just know what all your options are and how to voice lead, even in even in your root motion. Um, and then, of course, let's fast forward. Let's accelerate this process. I'm not going to spend <coughs> 15 hours breaking down the last 30 years of my harmonic exploration, but to get to the point, the the end of the of that, not the end, but a little more kind of advanced stage of that is to have you know full voicings, and sometimes. 
one note. Let's just see all the things, not all the things, but some of the cool things we can do with just one note. I'll show you a little bit of what I do with my process when I just restrict myself to one note and I'll come up with four chords I'm going to tell you what they are in a second before I forget them I'm going to put them in the looper See the, see the point I've come up with four chords I've started to improvise over them who knows where it goes from there that's always a little uh, stopover on my process um, sometimes get a little too distracted with improvising when I'm trying to work on composition but they generally all feed back into each other pretty nicely and so I've got I've taken E flat as a melody note and I've given it a straight minor triad spread minor triad so G uh, sorry C in the root G and E flat then I've gone a little thicker with the voicing. Four note chord, still with E flat. It's going to be an E flat on all four of these chords in the melody with F in the bass and then G and A flat. So I get this, get this nice crunch in the middle, half step crunch. And that makes the flat seven the melody. Then I've stayed again, E, e flat there, but it's really D sharp here because I move into E major seven. Another spread, spread triad. So one, five, ten with the major seven on top, E, B, G sharp, D sharp. And then I went with something I wasn't particularly enamored with afterwards. Uh, it didn't feel good to play over there melodically. I went with B augmented, so B with the raised five, B natural, G natural, and again our E flat or in this case D sharp and harmonic equivalent. I'd probably try and find something a little hipper there. So maybe if we're from C minor to F minor 9 to E, fl e major what if we could go no that's forcing a little um, no that sounds pretty whack um, oh I like that uh, yeah you know oops let's get that in the loop and see how that feels that's my next thing like, is it you know proof of uh can i validate it can i get my parking validated here on these chords what i have uh, oh yeah e flat e flat over g Yeah, okay. Um, not 
feeling in the most melodic mood right now, but that's that's kind of where where I go there. And uh, actually, I left out the one, the one I think because I started on C minor. I never ended up going to one of our more crunchy options, which major seven, <clears throat> sharp nine, for instance, or if it was a flat nine, maybe D major seven. In, in maybe in some instances there but that's it that was a kind of a basic ish look at where i go and but but i do have those crunchier options those more kind of outside um listening to you know bartok and uh, uh, messian and uh villa lobos and scriabin and, and those kind of people as well as debussy and you know um a lot, a lot of classical stuff a lot of kind of modern french stuff for sure but going way back there um you know i'm listening to brahms and to uh you know more romantic stuff about rachmaninoff and chopin and list and those kind of cats as as well as you know the big big boomy schumann and uh yeah like i said brahms and elgar ooh, sibelius dvorak that kind of stuff. A lot of it is rooted in in classical music, and and you'll hear, you know, you listen to Debussy and you hear Bill Evans immediately. I think, you know, you hear like, oh shit, Bill Evans just ripped off these exact voicings, and that's what's on, you know, Live at the Vanguard, some stuff in Kind of Blue that I hear from Debussy and Foray and some of these French composers. So it's amazing how uh, interconnected it is, and. I've talked about this a lot before, how some people like me came to bebop via Mike Stern. And then I realized, oh, shit, Mike Stern was playing like Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and those guys. So I had to go back and check it out. And then I get to maybe I got to Debussy. No, I heard Debussy before I heard Bill Evans. But you know what I mean? Like you could hear Bill Evans playing with Miles Davis, for instance, long before you hear a classical record. And then you realize, oh, shit, this happened like a couple hundred years before maybe some of some of the stuff, you know, and with Bach and counterpoint and jazz in general there's hundreds of years before um so it's amazing how it's all interconnected uh i think it's great to go back and check the history of the music and train your ear you know start simple like it doesn't have to be major seven flat nine chords and all these weird crunchy voicings and symmetrical diminished and triads over root you know root notes a half step up and all that stuff that, that you can get there if you're not there yet um Go back and listen to uh, listen to Bach, listen to Mozart, listen to Haydn, listen to uh, oh man, just so many things. That was a, 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 something I'm very fortunate that my uh, my mom listened to classical music when I was a kid, and I was kind of embedded in that. And plus, coming from the classical guitar, that helped as well. It exposed me to a lot of a lot of different composers that I might never have come across before because the guitar world is not that huge in terms of the repertoire. <laughs> nice julian bream did a lot of uh, arrangements a lot of people did a lot of arrangements of kind of modern stuff i remember playing some stuff by britain and um you know, all kinds of stuff villa lobos of course very cool um anyway i think i'm gonna wrap it up there uh, like comment and subscribe don't be shy with that even here on our little podcast channel if you're not over on the main channel definitely go check that out because that's the one we're pushing like crazy hey i'm not going to be mad if the podcast and eclipse channels blow up as well i think it's a really good place um 
to cater for a lot of different tastes because I, I don't just want to make one kind of thing. You know, I, I need an outlet to do this long form thing Saturday night, chilling back on the couch. By the way, I'm going to have some really cool interviews coming up soon as well. I keep talking about that, but I, I really am. I've been working on those this week. Um, it'll be super fun to talk to, to some very cool bass players. Um, really looking forward to that. And um, yeah, I think the clips and the podcast thing will help. Uh, release the pressure from my brain uh, when, uh, when when the main channel is like holy shit big production kind of stuff and stuff I love of course but I just you know I definitely want to do other things I want to talk about other stuff like I did today and uh, and onwards we go yeah like comment and subscribe uh, don't be shy um, I will get to comments here on the podcast channel as well if you have questions <laughs> that's obviously easier to reply uh, it, it's um, amazing to see all the compliments coming on the main channel, but it's hard to, you know, reply to that. It's like, thanks or thumbs up or something. Okay. But if you have a question, boy, can I dig into that and give you, uh, give you as best an answer as I, as I possibly can. So that's it. See you cats. Uh, see you cats on the next one. Mm-hmm.